0: I'm Ann Browdy, the director of the Women's Studies in Religion program, and I'm especially pleased to finally be welcoming you to our first lecture of the year. Um, we we did need to reschedule what ought to have been our first lecture of the year, so I do want to let you know that Laura Prieto's lecture. Refracting Mirrors, Women, Missions, and Colonial Education in Early 20th Century Philippines, um, which was to have taken place last month, will be on April 25th, and we, so we will have four lectures next semester and one uh, this semester. So please take one of these, um, which are right by the the door to the room as you leave, so you'll have the the schedule of our next semester's talks. Um, Today it is my very great pleasure to introduce, let me, who am I introducing today? There she <laughs> is, uh, Avital Davidovich Eshed. Uh, welcome, Avital. It's, we've, it's already been a great semester of conversations about work in progress in the Carriage House, and um, Avital has been fast at work, writing a mile a minute, so uh, we're very eager to hear from her. Um, Avital is a teaching fellow at the Gender Studies program at Bar-Ilan University, as well as a research fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem, and a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for the Study of Conversion and Interreligious Encounters at Bedgurian University of the Negev. Um, I will just mention a few of her publications in Hebrew. She is now working on her first publication in English, which is a great adventure. And um, she's a really good writer. So not everybody can make that transition as easily as she seems to to be able to. But we're happy to have the chance to uh, contribute to making her work available in English. Her previous publications include Sanctified God, Desecrated Woman, The Female Body as a Site of Cultural Conflict in the Middle Ages, um, published in Jerusalem Studies in Hebrew Literature, uh, as well as On Brides and Braids, Brides' Hair and Virginity in Ashkenazi Wedding Ceremonies um, in Swamin. Um, She's also the author of two encyclopedia entries, which I usually would not mention in an introduction, but. Who else can we say is the go-to person on virginity? Uh, So that is, she has an entry on virginity in the forthcoming uh, new edition of uh, Encyclopedia Hebraica, as well as contributing the uh, very important entry on gender to that work. So we're pleased to welcome you today.
1: thank you so much <laughs> and and this is such an honor and privilege to be here today and i know that a lot of you has to go by 2 so i'm not going to give a lot of thanks but i must give some thanks so uh, to the hds to harvard divinity school and i see dean hampton is here this is such a great opportunity to be here and this program our program the women's studies in religion program is just such a gift so thank you, Ann, for the inspiring guidance and also my four colleagues who are here. It's just the beginning of the year, as Anne mentioned, but already I learned a lot from each and every one of them. And of course, Tracy Wall, who's just making everything, I don't know if she's here, but she's making everything happen around us. So that's really important. And of course, you all for coming. Um, as Ann said, I'm just working right now on uh, a book project, so I'm, I know that not all of you are gonna be here by the time of uh, questions and remarks, but I'm really, oh, I'm sorry. This is very delicate. How do I put it back? Um, I need some help here with the, oh, I see. You, okay, you see all my secrets right now? <laughs> so here it is. Okay, great. Okay, so I'll just start. Uh, so, here at the Women's Studies in Religion program, I'm working on a monograph about the poetics and politics that shaped the Jewish concept of virginity in the High Middle Ages against the backdrop of Western European culture. Broaching a virtually unexplored topic, my research offered a first comprehensive survey of virginity in Judaism, including its function as a decisive factor in women's identity and social status and as an essential religious category. When we point to a woman and say that she's a virgin, it might seem that we're making neutral statement about her lack of, sexu- lack of sexual experience. In some contexts, we may have in mind an anatomical detail. Her human is intact. But in fact, such statements about a person's body and sexuality are almost never neutral or natural but are the product of social norms, cultural traditions, religious and political ideologies, and changing historical circumstances. (coughs) In different cultures, in different eras, a woman's designation as a virgin or a non-virgin has carried with it a broad and fluid range of cultural assumptions about her personal, social, moral, and religious status with implication for her legal rights, economic and social status, self-identity, and even her life. My project <coughs> as a whole rests on the <coughs> assumption that virginity is not a fixed essence. It is rather a fluid concept that takes on ever new forms as a function of the specific historical, political, economic, and ideological context that's constructed in culture. This understanding of virginity as a cultural construct is reinforced by the expanding body of scholarship on the concept published over the last two decades, primarily in the context of Christian tradition, and I saw Clarissa Atkinson is with us today, and she uh, have a pioneering role in this uh, body of scholarship, and maybe there are some other people, but I just don't <laughs> recognize them, so excuse me. This scholarly literature draws on cultural history, religious studies, comparative literature, and gender studies has suggested (coughs) that the seemingly natural universal essence of virginity camouflages the brutal mechanisms of its cultural construction. Precisely the fact that virginity is an omnipresent concept, but with varying content, made it a useful semiotic key for analyzing changing attitudes about the body, sexuality, and gender. In addition, the coexistence of diverse notions of virginity within a single cultural And within a single culture, or in parallel cultural spaces, turns it into a privileged means for illuminating power (coughs) relations within a society and for studying encounters between different cultures. My work on the medieval European Jewish concept draws on a wide spectrum of Jewish sources. This includes the variegated literature on Jewish law, halacha. Jewish custom, as well as biblical commentaries, midrashim, liturgical poetry, historical chronicles, and Hebrew illuminated manuscripts. My inquiry proceeds along two axes. The first, which is diachronic, considers medieval Jewish concepts of virginity in light of the classical texts and identified both continuity and change within Jewish tradition. The second axis, which is synchronic, considered the Jewish concept of virginity in light of the centrality of virginity in medieval Christian Europe and in the Jewish-Christian polemic of the Middle Ages. Am I going too fast? Okay, I have the tendency to do that, so just Thank stop you. me if I do. Uh, <laughs> okay, no complaints, good. Virginity was an idea, was an ideal shared by Judaism and Christianity, but also uh, a point of fundamental controversy between the two religions. This duality made it a loaded symbol and discursive topic through which Jewish society worked out its internal tensions and redefined its self-definition vis-a-vis Christian society. In my talk today, I wish to concentrate on this particular aspect, how the concept of virginity was employed to articulate Jewish communal boundaries and was enlisted in the service of intercultural polemics. To demonstrate this point, I will share with you my close reading of a medieval Hebrew text that recounts the death of a young virgin. Our story appears in a long Hebrew chronicle describing, and you have the handouts in your hand, and I see most of you are already reading them. Those of you who read Hebrew, you have the, uh, the Hebrew on the other side. Um, So the Hebrew Chronicle describing the brutal assaults on the Jewish communities of the Rhineland at the start of the First Crusade in the spring of 1096. It vividly recounts the mass martyrdom that was the common Jewish response to the attacks. The Chronicle was written during the first half of the 12th century about a generation after the events it describes. The chronicler tells us on that on the first day of the Hebrew month of Tammuz, which corresponds to somewhere in the end of June 1096, <coughs> it's actually 27, I just didn't want to be that precise, a crusader, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so, <laughs> but it is the 27th of June, uh, a crusader band reached the town of Eln in which many Jews had fled from Cologne. As was the case everywhere, the crusaders offered the Jews <laughs> two choices, Baptism or death. After the clo- the chronicler lament the destruction of the glorious community of Cologne, he describes an incident that occurred that day: the martyrdom of a, of the Virgin Sarit, slain by her father-in-law to be, Master Yuda ben Rabbi Abraham de Parnas. That is the a title for a, a community leader. I cannot do justice to the richness of this text today. I will only highlight one aspect of the story thus far neglected by scholars, Mm -hmm. namely Sarit's status as a virgin. My thesis is Sarit's virginity and the meaning assigned to it are fundamental for understanding the story. Um, I'm starting to read the story from the third paragraph, the first two paragraphs, the first one, um, the chronicle begins with high praise Uh, of Master Judah and and then proceeding to the events and he mentions that many women chose death over apostasy that day. So I'm starting at paragraph C. When Sarit, the virgin bride, who was beautiful and lovely and most pleasant in the eyes of those who beheld her, saw how they killed themselves with their swords and slaughtered one another, she took fright at what she was seeing and wanted to escape through the window to the outside. But when her father-in-law, the the, the pious master Judah, ben Rabbi Avraham, saw that such was his daughter-in-law's intention, he called to her, My daughter, since you will not be married to my son Abraham, you will not marry the other, the Gentile. And he caught hold of her, took took her out of the window, kissed her on the mouth, and raised his voice, wailing together with the maiden. Bitter of heart, he cried aloud to all those present. Behold all of you, this is the wedding of my daughter, my kala, which in Hebrew is both um, daughter-in-law and and bride, that that I'm performing today. They all cried sobbing and wailing, mourning and moaning. The pious master Judah said to her, come my daughter and lie in the bosom of our father Abraham for in a single moment you will acquire your place in the next world and enter the company of the righteous and pious. He took her and laid her on the bosom of his son Abraham her betrothed, and with his sharp sword, cut her in two pieces through the middle. Then he slaughtered his son as well." It's good you already have lunch. Even among the extremely violent situations recounted in the Hebrew Chronicles about uh, 1096, this story stands out for its brutality. Most troubling is the manner of Sarit's death, which does not seem to have any parallel in these Chronicles or other Jewish accounts of the events. Why does Judah cut Sarit in half? And what is the significance of her being a virgin? I would like to link these two questions because I see Sister's virginity and her bisection, sort of symbolic and cl- cruel defloration, as interwoven. Mm. Although the narrative claims to recount a specific event, its stylized language suggests that its meaning is more universal. I propose to read this story as addressing the anxieties about the social and religious boundaries of the Jewish community in times of turmoil and catastrophe. Sarit's virgin body becomes a site where the internal and external struggles of medieval Jewish community find resolution both actual and metaphorical. This reading is based on the idea that the. The need to define a community's identity and boundaries, especially when this identity is seriously threatened, is frequently expressed through definition and demarcation of the human body. As famously demonstrated by Mary Douglas and many others, the human body can be a symbol of every bounded system, the main function of all the notions of separation, purification, demarcation, and punishment to to impose some method on bodily experiences which by their nature tend to be chaotic this is especially prominent among minority groups who feel threatened consequently and here I quote Douglas who is saying in purity and danger the threatened boundaries of their body politic well mirrored in the care of the for the integrity unity and purity of the physical body in fact The boundaries of the physical body, too, are socially (coughs) constructed. If the human body is a metaphor for society, then any penetration of it that is inappropriate or unacceptable to the hegemonic order may be a source of pollution and danger. The desire to protect certain body orifices parallels society's desire to defend its cultural, religious, and political unity. Women's bodies are often the focus of the mechanisms that construct community's identity. The defense of their sexual purity becomes a matter of cardinal social significance and their virginity functions as the seal of its solidarity and the gar- guardian of its boundaries. In our story too, the defense of communal boundaries is implemented on Sarit's body and triggers her murder. Sarit refuses to cast her lot with the other women who sanctify God's name and kill one another. She wants to run away and escape the fate that her society assigned to her to die a martyr's death. In the world of the Chronicles, the mere hint that she might bolt undercuts the otherwise uniform acceptance of martyrdom. Master Yuda, her father in law, and leader of the community cannot bear the thought that Sarit will run away not because he wishes his death but because another reason which he states explicitly since you will not be married to my son Abraham I'm quoting from the story you will not marry the other the gentile the hegemonic order represented here by Master Yuda cannot tolerate the possibility that Sarit's virgin body will be penetrated by the other he her desire to remove herself from the order and act as an independent subject rec- requires violent reaction, a public and ambiguous act that will restore order. And here I go back to the text to paragraph E and I'm, I'm reading, um, he caught, he caught her, took her out of the window, kissed her on the mouth and cried aloud, to all those present, be- all, b- uh, behold all of you. This is the wedding of my daughter, my Kala, that I'm performing today. By cutting her in two pieces, Master Yuda returns Sarit to what he views as her appropriate ples- place, the physical bosom of his son Abraham and the, ma- the, the symbolic bosom of Abraham the patriarch. But in his desperate attempt to preserve the social order, Master Yuda breaches the very same order by overstepping the appropriate sexual distance from his daughter-in-law and kissing her on the mouth. The story's bloody end is also clearly sexual. although Although the cut through her middle could have been crosswise or lengthwise, a longitudinal cut from the from the head to crotch is more likely as the only way to divide a body into symmetrical halves. Mm-hmm. There is also the symbolism of a cut that splits, the d- uh, that splits the genitalia down the middle and strongly hints at a penitential sacrifice for sexual transgressions. In addition, the phrase through the middle into two into pieces, shnei <laughs> gzorim might allude to the covenant between the pieces in Genesis 15. This gives Master Yuta's action a mythical dimension as a reenactment and ratification of the ancient covenant between God and Abraham. Somewhat paradoxically this tale of intense religious and cultural conflict highlights images and ideas shared by Jews and Christians in the Middle Ages. These common aspects are evident in the correspondence between Sarit's story and the biblical tale of the virgin daughter of Jephthah the Giladite in the Book of Judges. Highlight, highlighting the links between the two virgins will help clarify the role of virginity in our story as I see it. Like Jephthah's daughter, Sarit falls victim to the zealotry of a father figure the virginity of Jephthah's daughter is repeatedly emphasized in the Biblical text, while Sarit's virginity is essential to our story. A brief survey of the Jewish and Christian exegetical tradition of Jephthah's, uh, of Judges uh, chapter 11 will clarify the link between the girl's sacrifice and her virginity. As you may remember, Jephthah vowed that if he defeated the Ammonites, uh, he will offer the Lord whatever or whoever is the first to greet him when he returns home in triumph. That turns out to be his only daughter. His response, uh, her response to her father's brokenhearted report of his vow is to request two month reprieve so that she can go into the hills and mourn her virginity. Then after two months, she returns to her father and the story concludes with a very ambiguous verse saying he did to her as as he had vowed, she had never known a man." That's uh, verse 39 in Judges 11. Commentators of every generation, Jewish and Christian, have found it hard to accept the idea that Jephthah offered a human sacrifice. They ponder whether the sacrifice was real or symbolic, whether Jephthah killed his daughter, as Abraham was about to kill Isaac, or whether the, the young girl's sacrifice is her consecration to the service of God in cloistered celibacy. The line in Jewish tradition that was critical of Jephthah tended to see the sacrifice as precisely that. By contrast, medieval commentators like Avraham Ibn Ezra from the first half of the 12th century and David Kimchi from early 13th century who were familiar with Christian female monasticism were more likely to read the story allegorically. Christian commentators too were divided into the literalist and the allegorist. Christian literal interp- interpreters saw Jephthah's daughter not as a helpless sacrificial victim, but as a heroic virgin who went to her death willingly in the tradition of female martyrs. The allegorical imp- interpretation naturally suited the Christian perspective very well. The sacrifice of Jephthah's daughter is the vow of chastity and her lifelong consecration to the service of God. In in this reading, Jephthah's daughter is a prototype of the nun. In Christianity, virginity and life of celibacy were the highest expression of religious devotion. The virgin martyr and later the virgin nun is considered to be the bride of Christ. By contrast, a Jewish virgin bride is fulfilled only when she is redeemed from her virginity and produces children. The death of a Jewish virgin before she has realized her capacity for procreation is perceived as a tragedy. Mm. But this axiom is inverted in our story. Sarit's death as a virgin wins her eternal life and the promise of spiritual fulfillment, like a Christian martyr as Judah promises her, in a single moment you will acquire your place in the next world. In this medieval Jewish story, the martyred Jewish virgin is in no way inferior to the virgin martyr of the other religion. With regard to this story of Sarit, in particular interest is a Christological interpretation of the episode of Jephthah's daughter as found in one of the oldest extant manuscripts of the Biblia Moralisée, dating from the first half of the 13th century, And here. Now it's not working. <laughs> cool, uh, the other side, okay. In this medieval genre, illustrations of biblical events are accompanied by short, short moral homilies. Each page, of th- each page of the manuscript is divided into eight illuminated medallions whose meaning is explained uh, by an, ag- by an, uh, an adjacent uh, caption in Old France, French. Six medallions on folio 61 verso tell the story of Jephthah's daughter. Each vertical pair, pair of medallions constitute a single narrative unit um, in which the upper medallion depicts the biblical scene and the lower medallion reveals the Christological meaning prefigured in that event by that event. Jephthah's daughter is identified here as a prefiguration of synagoga, the personified figure of the errant, vanquished Judaism often used in medieval iconography. Her father, Jephthah, stands for Jesus. In the first medallion, I'm I'm talking about the upper medallion, Jephthah's daughter is coming out to greet her victorious father. He is horror-stricken because he realized the implications of his vow. The caption for the lower medallion explains that the two characters are, in fact, Synagoga coming out to meet Jesus. In contrast to the biblical story, what Synagoga holds in her hand is not timbrel, but a bag of money. She is not dancing in honor of of her father, Victory, but as the caption informs us, she celebrates pleasure of this world, money and fleshly desires. In the next set of medallions, we see Jephthah's daughter accompanied by her girlfriend, speaking with her father and crying. On the basis of the biblical story, we would assume that she is asking her father for a spit to lament her bitter faith. But the caption indicates that she is requesting s- a stay of 40 days so she and her co- uh, companions can go and have good time. The caption alongside the lower medallion explains that Jaboth's daughter is typologically synagogue again and she's asking uh, Jesus to spare her life he complies with her request after which she returns to her pursuit of money and the pleasure of this world the last medallion here it is show how the actual sacri- shows show the actual sacrifice in the upper medallion we see Jephthah using a large sword to cleave his daughter in two, starting from the head down. The caption explains, here Jephthah sacrifices his daughter and cuts her into two parts. One part is white and the other is black. In the lower medallion, which concludes the story, readers learn that the two halves of the slaughtered girl's body symbolizes Christianity and Judaism. The illumination and text make the hierarchy between the two religious unmistakable. Jews wearing typical Jewish hats are falling from the down black side of the body, of the slaughtered body. The caption explains that the white side represents the church and faith, whereas the black side is the Jews who remain in darkness and have been deprived of God's love. In this interpretation, the sacrifice of Jephthah's daughter becomes the necessary amputation of an infected limb, which Christiani- with Christianity see- uh, seeking to eliminate Judaism from its body. Juda- Judaism's moral inferiority emphasizes in the second medallion is why this painful separation must take place. The same imprinting of the abstract idea of separation and demarcation on the concrete virgin body is found in the story of Sarit. The visual similarities between the two stories are striking and obvious. The father, patriarch, Jephthah, Jesus, Judah, motivated by a paternalistic view of the collective welfare cuts the body of his virgin daughter, Ward, may it be uh, Jephtach's daughter, synagogue, Sarit, in two. The uh, The young woman's virgin body is reduced to a symbol of the social and religious tension and serves as the site where this tension can be released. The social and religious identity of each group is constructed by means of differentiation between the we group and them. In our medieval chronicle, the desire for a physical, and conceptual divide between Judaism and Christianity, between what is perceived as pure and what is perceived as polluted, is expressed in the virgin body of Sarit, of which the only solution deemed possible is implemented, the the painful excision of the living flesh of the individual in order to save the whole. I propose that we see the, sev- the severed halves of Sarit body as an image of Jewish society's internal tension about martyrdom and the community's power over the life of the individual, as well as the external tension created by the theological and physical conflict with Christian culture. Both of these, as well as the tension between, both of these possibilities, as, as well as the tension between them, inform the story and endow it with meaning. Virginity symbolizes not only wholeness and completeness, but also vulnerability. As such, it is extremely appropriate metaphor for the Jews of Ashkenaz who told this story and perceived themselves as holy community, a complete and autarchic social body on one hand, but facing perpetual threats and danger on the other the fact that virginity was a key symbol for the other religion and that the two sometimes made similar metaphorical use of the figure of the virgin bride and those the Jewish use use of it with a clear polemical dimension. Armed with these insights about the role of Sarit's virginity in the story and the light it sheds on Jewish community, inner struggle and other challenges, I will now focus on what I see as key to understanding the Jewish discourse about virginity before concluding our discussion. The Jewish concept of virginity is complex and multifaceted. Its roots are in the Bible. In later generations, it was shaped by social and religious rituals and by Allahic exegesis and jurisprudence. The rabbinic tradition that goes back to the Mishnah and Talmud deals with virginity when it expounds the biblical laws that apply specifically to virgin, that is seduction, rape, accusation of premarital inchastity, the injunction that the high priest may marry only uh, a virgin. Um, Judaism Judaism limited virginity to the relatively short interval between the first signs of girl's sexual maturity and her marriage. Unlike Christianity, which led to per- perpetual virginity, the Jewish model was compatible with the, f- with the very first commandment in the Bible, to be fruitful and multiply, and establish the social centrality of marriage. The religious meaning of female virginity stems from the connection made between retaining one's virginity until marriage and fertility. In medieval Ashkenaz, this idea was reinforced by the link to the idea of preserving the Holy Seed of Israel, zera Kodesh, and reflected in the image of the Virgin Bride as a feminine ideal. This ideal was articulated through various textual tradition and transmitted through law and ritual. The Virgin Bride functions as an agent of social meaning, whose body exemplifies the social and religious values of contemporary Judaism. And, as we saw with Sarit, could be used to challenge the Christian ideal of the Virgin Bride of Christ. An important point that I wish to underline is that the complexity and fluidity of the Jewish concept from the Talmudic period onward is due to the coexistence of three (coughs) partially overlapping systems for defining virginity. The first one is virginity as sexual in experience, so a virgin is a woman who has never had sex. The second is virginity as a matter of anatomy, that is, a virgin is a woman with an intact human. The third one, and the most elaborate and complex, is virginity as a legal presumption based on various parameters such as age, social class, and marital status. A virgin, by that definition, is any young Jewish woman who has never been married. I just will give another example to, to specify. So uh, a woman who was converted to Judaism after the age of three and a day, if she, even if we know that she had never had sex before and that her human intact, by this definition would not be considered a virgin. Each of these three systems consider virginity through a distinct prism that emphasizes different social and con- cultural concerns. The dynamic between the different definitions and the wide range of possible interpretation made possible by their interplay illuminate the ideological and political bias underlying any legal ruling on the subject. In the very short time I have left, I don't. I cannot go into the complexities of halachic um, halakhic definitions of virginity. For that, you're all very welcome to come to my course at HDS next semester. Um, but I however I would like to, to give a short example um, uh, just to demonstrate this. So a 13th century halakhic treatise from Ashkenaz named Sefer Asufot includes the following question addressed to a rabbinic authority. with regard to a young woman who, has, who, who was married and then widowed and says, I still have not had se- sexual intercourse and I'm a virgin. Does she collect her ketubah? Meaning uh, the cash settlement payable for a widow, a divorcee uh, under the marriage contract. So um, does he collect her ketubah? Uh, is it paid from the estate of her first husband, or in her ca- uh, or is her case that of a woman who is only betrothed, who does not receive any settlement, and with regard the second husband, does he write her a ketubah specifying the amount of a virgin, which is two hundred zuzim? That's the 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 coin, or a ketubah? in the amount set for a widow, which is only one mina, which is half. It's only a hundred zusim. The questionnaire is inquiring about the legal status of a young woman who was widowed soon after her wedding and its financial implications for her husband heirs <laughs> and if she remarries. In fact, Jewish law has an ambi- unambiguous answer to this. It's, it's a very simple halachic question. The mishnah in the first chapter of tractate ktubat defines virginity as a formal personal status and the wedding as a ritual that institutes the marital bond. So here, virgin denotes the status of a woman who has never been married. A woman who had stood under the chupa, the bridal ca- canopy, loses her presumption of virginity. So this is the, the Mishnah is working with the third definition uh, that, that, that we just articulated. But this definition clearly contradicts the woman's self-definition. She's saying, I still have not engaged in sexual intercourse and I am a virgin. The questionnaire, who no no doubt has some knowledge of halakha, also understands virginity as a matter of sexual innocence or anatomy, which is the first or the second. Here it is not clear. Otherwise there is no point in his questions whether she is entitled to the settlement due to a widow and whether should she remarry she is entitled to the uh, con- uh, to the contractual settlement of a virgin even though she already stood under the chuppah with a different man The questionnaire perplexity exposes the tension among the several parallel definitions In fact these different definitions of virginity reflect another profound tension found already in the earliest rabbinic literature between two different notions of what actually institutes the marriage bond, the ceremony under the chuppah or intercourse. The ruling on this question will have immediate economic and personal repercussions as well as more theoretical implication for subsequent rabbinic deliberations. This example, shows that any study of virginity in Jewish societies must look beyond cultural definition. It also requires that we ascertain which social actors wield the power to define the contour of the female body and sexuality, and identify the institutional and cultural arenas virginity is addressed, challenged, or disputed. This case also highlights one of the main challenges I face in my research, which is the scattered and incidental character of the uh, the reference to virginity in Jewish sources. There is no formal theology of virginity in Judaism as there is in Christianity, so we must spread a very wide net in order to map uh, the material that exists. We also need to develop new techniques of reading that will allow us to mine and uncover their treatment of virginity. Our reading of the story of Sarit is one example to the possibilities this sort of mining open for understanding old texts in new ways. And the light that it can shed not only on Jewish perceptions of virginity, but on Jewish society in much broader sense. I'm concluding. As I have proposed, the concept of virginity functions as a sort of seismograph that traces historical variations of the social control of sexuality and construction of gender in Jewish culture. The, s- the sweeping cultural designation of a certain group of women as virgins and then trenchment of this disi- designation in religious law, ritual and social norm had and still has far-reaching implications for the social status and self-perception of Jewish women. Hence, my research proposed a thesis that goes beyond the specific context of medieval medieval Europe and sees virginity as a fundamental concept of identity and an effective analytical category for studying the history of the sexual and gender economy in Jewish civilization. This is true not only of virginity, but also of the attitude twa- towards other female identity categories, such as widows and divorcees, that regulates women's personal status in halacha in a way that serves the existing social and religious frameworks and preserve their power. This insight into the mechanisms that construct gender in Judaism is important for understanding the past, but also for dealing the present and shaping the future. Thank you.
0: i not going to go to classes, but we
2: hope uh, the rest of
3: you can stay for a few uh, questions. Do you want to uh, recognize me? Yeah, a drink yeah so I, I want to drink. A drink. <laughs> I a drink. A drink. Um, and would you introduce yourself? Please. Yeah, I'm David Stern. I teach in uh, FAS. Uh, the, now, this is really fascinating. Um, I have a question about the, I'm um, quite fascinated by this uh,
2: longitudinal cut. Do you have any other, do you have other examples of that? um illustrations I mean is there anything like that in any Jewish text it aside from the Greek are read because it does I like yeah
1: so um yeah uh <laughs> but it, it wasn't very easy to find and actually the way it is uh the Hebrew does not imply to a specific way of cutting so in order um to demonstrate the fact that it's uh, longitudinal, it's really, it, it's really, um, it's, it's really um, it was challenging. But um, first of all, I found uh, not, not, uh, not illustration, not visual images, but I did sound sa- uh, in, the, um, in the Hebrew Chronicles, I did found some accounts of the crusaders themselves cutting people through through the hea- in a longitudinal because this is the way that the sword works. <laughs> this this is probably would be the right I guess the right <laughs> the right way to do it if you're holding a sword and wanna and wanna cut someone. So I have one example like that. Um, and there's also a midrash um, on <coughs> on spreading. I think it's. I don't remember right now the the but but I I have one that I I can't recall it right now but there is one more example like that in Jewish midrash for a man not for a woman um so so
2: yeah,
3: so I this is
1: the, the only the but the thing the is
2: iconography No
1: it, well we don't have much iconography but the thing is that this bibliomoral really is said that is from early 13th century and then our text which is middle of 12th century. And th- I think what's fascinating here is the same metaphorical use. That the, these two societies are talking the same metaphorical language with each other, and they're f- each one of them is using that against the other religion. Um,
2: yes. Um, can you pull um, first of all, what a really powerful presentation and com- uh, compelling comparison
1: I can, I can, I, yeah, it's a pic- yeah. I, yes. everybody likes that. Oh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you so much. And, and Thank yeah, you. The juxtaposition is absolutely compelling. Um, <laughs> I, I'd like to just go uh, uh, and, and ask for your view on the last sentence, which I don't think you addressed. That is to say- In the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's so he he places her on the body on the living body on the, uh, uh, of 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 his son Abraham. It, it's I mean I want to hear your view, but it seems to me that he's arranging a kind of a consummation of the marriage, and then he kills them both.
1: Yeah, I well the this the the, the yeah. framework of the of the I have a much broader uh, interpretation and reading <laughs> of the story, ah. and I, I actually addressed that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it is. This whole ritual murder is, is, this, is, this, is a, this is a blood wedding, right? That he's, he's trying to, 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 to give them a wedding that they're not gonna have. Uh, and then he kills his son as well. And I'm just, I was thinking, how does exactly, he puts her in the bosom of his uh, son. Abraham was that long, Longitudinal or that way, because that, it will create a cross, and there's a lot of symbolic <laughs> possibilities with that. But but yeah, that that's that's a very good comment. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Uh, well, I you just I was really fascinated by that conclusion also, and um, forgive me if this only reflects my ignorance of the period, but I was wondering if it is
1: martyrdom because she has chosen baptism. She's she's murdered. Right. So she 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 didn't chose baptism. It's it's not well. She she wanted to escape through the window. I I think Judas' assumption is that she if she will go outside the window, she will convert to Christianity, and he wanted to uh, to prevent that. It's actually it's fascinating because in, in Hebrew, the the word ones, um, which is the English for rape is used both for rape, but also for uh, forced conversion. So the there's sort of um, and uh, in a lot of in a lot of places in this chronicle, I have the feeling although there there aren't any uh, descriptions of the crusaders uh, raping any Jewish women, and and I think they probably didn't. Um, Unlike in, in other uh, accounts of, of this kind of assaults that we know that rape is part of, uh, of what happens when, when an army gets into a, um, a community, here there, was n- there is no account, account on, 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 uh, that Jewish women were raped, both in the Rhineland, <coughs> and also when the Crusaders got to Jerusalem. So they kill everybody, but they're not raping women. And it's quite surprising because I think it, if it was part of the thing, um, we, we would have known about that because they're really elaborated accounts on that. So wh- what, I'm, what I'm trying to get to is that uh, in, in many places in this text, women's loyalty to the community is defined both by her religious loyalty and sexual loyalty. And these two loyalties, the religious loyalty and the sexual lo- loyalty are diffused in many ways also in Sarit. So when he is afraid that she will go outside of the window, he also afraid that she would be penetrated by someone else, but he's also afraid that she will, uh, that she will convert. So these two fears are identical and the way he take care of that two fears is also very physical. Does that answer the question? OK.
4: Michael.
1: Oh. Michael Rosenberg? Yes. Hi, nice Hi. to meet nice you. i a bit emailing, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: so I'm intrigued by.
1: Michael was writing about virginity in early Christian, in the Talmud, in early Christianity, right? The so
4: so he's an expert. Ahead. Yeah. So I'm intrigued by the ambiguity here caused by the name of the son Abraham, and of Abraham, our father. Um, which I think plays on this ambiguity of, is this marriage consummated or not? Right, because on the one hand, um, if you look at the late anti-Christian martyrs, martyrdom stories of virgins who are the brides of Christ and they, their bodies remain unpenetrated, they never are married to an earthly man and are married to, to Christ. And here, there's a strange line of, come lie in the lap of Abraham our father and place on the son of Abraham, it feels like there's, I don't know if I want to use the word anxiety or some kind of intentional ambiguity about whether this is consummated, I feel like it's playing in some ways with sort of Christian values <coughs> of, uh, around virginity. There's some kind of
1: yes, yes, it's definitely
4: and resistance to those.
1: Moments. Right, because the, the the point of virginity in Judaism, as a po- it, well, I don't want to talk in really large generalization, but if I will have to pinpoint where is the. The, the crucial difference between the way Christianity uh, sees virginity and Judaism is that Judaism is, is concentrated on the moment of defloration and i 'm sorry i don 't have a, if I would really be happy to hear other suggestions for this world for this word defloration, but this is the 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 moment of when virginity ceased to exist. This is the moment that is crucial in Jewish eyes. The moment of beilat mitzvah, which is the the commended uh, consummation of marriage. Uh, this is the Jewish text sees that as a transformative moment something happens there and they're fascinated by that so i think it's not surprising that this text that is so concentrated with virginity and have such a strong debate over this symbol with christianity will say something about the fact that the jewish virgin martyr is not less than the christian martyr but she's very different because her virginity is lost at the end there's a moment there that it's lost before she dies do I get to 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 st- Do choose do, do that? <laughs> uh, thanks. I'm Katie
0: Park. Um, I'm Emerita from the History Science Department, um, and I work work on medieval uh, Christian ideas of the body. Um, this was a wonderful talk, and just um, a thought about the vertical cut. Um, I don't know if there's a concept of the hymen. I mean, it's not a major part of uh, latin right, mm-hmm. on virginity of women. Um, but if she's cut sideways, her hymen remains intact, whereas if she's cut vertically, her hymen um, doesn't, mm-hmm. in which case it makes more sense to think of it as a consummation or yeah. we add
1: to the evidence that um, it's like a consummation. Yeah, I was looking into the Hebrew, in or, uh, David Stern is not here anymore, but um, I was looking a lot through that question because it's critical for the uh, sort of reading I'm trying uh, to do. And the only things I would find is that in Hebrew, when you say, um, that would be, that the, the other place I found it is when God is crossing the sea. Right, crossing uh, splitting, yeah. thank you, the sea when uh, when the Jews are going out of Egypt. And there too, Goseriam Suflik is also there's no point <laughs> of <laughs> cutting the sea. That way right all oh, everybody will stand in the water and wouldn't come across. So the only the only uh, the I, I was trying to find the, the roots of the word so the only uses when I found that they say in, in the case of of, uh, of the sea uh, is also longitudinal, and the fact, as Michael just said, that she's deflowered actually um, actually goes along with the with the interpretation. Yeah.
3: Thank you. Uh, thank you for your talk. Um, I, I I have very simplistic reading. And one is, and it starts with that whoever would be reading this story or this text would know, at least would know that the women who were mentioned before had performed mm-hmm. Hashem and that um, they would also know the story of uh, Korah mm-hmm. and in, in which case they had those, that couple face to face had sinned mm-hmm. and they were peers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this way. Mm-hmm. So I think that the father, father-in-law. You're talking about Pinchas, the story of yeah. Pinchas,
1: okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And the father, father-in-law was redeeming her and preventing her from um, having to, not, not because she sinned, But, um, and when he kissed her mouth, it was the same uh, gesture that Hashem kissed to give life and also for uh, Rabbeinu Moshe to take away life. So he sanctified her and she was cut a different way.
1: Well, I I didn't talk about uh, the figure of Yudah at all. And there's a lot to say about the way um, his character is um, is constructed in the story, and Pinchas is a very strong mm-hmm. allusion. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, Jeremy Cohen uh, wrote about that, about the the sort of um, symbolic figure of Yuda and the and the characters he's uh, he's corresponding with, mm-hmm. and he he was mentioning four characters. One of them um, is Pinchas, uh, but yeah. Well, when we're ta- when we're dealing with symbolic language. Um, there's there's a couple interpretations, but I think it, it it wouldn't change the fact that Sarit's virginity here is mm-hmm. a is a is a crucial key to 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 understand um, mm-hmm. the story. And may may I add one more? Yeah, sure.
3: thank you so much. Um, I th- the fact that the main characters are Abraham and Sarah, from whom everyone was supposed to descend. Yeah the fact that, that she's virgin in whatever way you take it is extremely important because the trauma of the Cologne community in this, in this instance of a Shoah. Well, uh, it's not a Shoah. Okay, well, very <laughs> traumatic time for this long established community. <coughs> so it's kind of showing that the trauma is that there will be no descendants. That this this time this period the social situation is so terrible that that it cuts is the line It's gone yeah so that's
1: that's an interesting point yeah uh, I don't want so to the, oh, we uh, um, we I thought we would just take
0: the last questions and have you uh, not answer each one individually okay. but just we'll just hear all I ultimately. have a really bad
1: memory so I need a pen. Uh, well, <laughs> you're not going okay, yeah, to answer all of
0: I'll just speak. To Take from there and then yeah. Um, yeah, I also just wanted to follow up a little bit more on a figure of
1: Judah because if we're, and I actually didn't, I mean, he doesn't come to me across sympathetically but if we're talking about violence on a body, it's not just that he kisses her, which is striking but he's very physical, right? He takes her, he takes mm-hmm. and he he like, moves her from the window and then obviously violates her body on top right in in a
0: way that seems sort of dramatic. And I also just wanted to add, um, David's wanted to ask if there's other examples right
1: where people are split lengthwise and um, it just made me think of um, Moses, right, in, in Shmo when he's getting like until so the then eats him up until the crotch. And that was, so that seems another example for the body split in half up until that moment. And that that's why that's a good are example circumcise the child. Yeah. So yeah yeah. People. And and just pay attention to the fact that you did not commit any martyrdom. We don't know. Like he kills everybody around, but he's not, he's not <laughs> dead at the end of this story.
2: Just add one thing. I would suggest you could look at Safer and Seera. Safer in Seera is the earliest And it's, it's uh, based on bilateral symmetry. It's can uh, connected five uh, five hands uh, uh, five fingers five fingers five toes, mm-hmm. five toes and it says Brit Milah Brit Lashon batavach. I know. So I it yeah, really yeah. suggests. Yes, yeah, that's I know. Symmetry going down the middle. It really proves your point. Mm-hmm.
1: That's that's a good point. I actually know that that the the, the passage you were referring and I didn't connect that to. Thank you. Suzanne.
4: Yeah, and, and the vertical symmetry also uh, mirrors the labia. so it yeah. has another element. But. Um, uh, i was struck by, first of all, so the window. Uh, the, there's such a, it's such a rich topic that you're doing, and it's such wonderful work. But the, there's a book by Daniel Uto talks about uh, secrecy uh, mm-hmm. and the importance in the Middle Ages of not praying near a window. And that the Reformation transforms that by opening windows and the and architecture also begins to change. And buildings now have more and more windows, but one didn't pray before windows. So I wonder if that might be another element. But the other thing I wanted to say is the ritual quality of all of this, it is ritualized. Of course, it's written for a particular reason in order to be very um, after the fact, et cetera, for community. But the ritual nature of it, and you and I have talked about this, that when the, the woman uh, is, as they say, deflowered, whatever that means. We that need that out of word, please. Right, mm-hmm. but she gives, theoretically, supposedly she's giving some drops of blood uh, which has the parallel with the brit love with the circumcision mm-hmm. that the boy. I know.
1: I body. wish Shaya Kwan didn't go. i was just yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh,
4: yeah, but of course, when the boy gives his blood at the circumcision, uh, the father or the circumciser is supposed to suck something from the penis and uh, perhaps give a kiss. You know, uh, with the kiss from uh, from. Uh, yeah, Yishakimish because the the, Can song, the, song, the revelation came as a kiss at Sinai. Yeah? Oh so you're so thinking that kiss? So I'm wondering in terms <laughs> of this, yeah. Th- there's no kiss here, obviously.
1: Well but he is he does kiss general? her on the mouth. Yes, yes,
4: that's his kiss. But I'm thinking about the defloration in the literature. What happens? There's no mandate for man to kiss when he's No, if,
1: yeah, no it he just need to um um Bo'el he, Poresh, he he goes in and then withdraws. The, the floration is the whole thing. That's the only thing, that's, 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 that's bilat mitzvah. That's the idea of the commandment, is to get rid with virginity. That's the consummation of marriage. But
4: he makes it more like the brit milah by giving her a kiss. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, I haven't thought about that. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you all for uh, joining. Really stimulating conversation. And thank you for this wonderful.
1: Thank you all for coming.